Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Got some good stuff today, but before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece of future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800 356 seed. This week we're paying a visit to Starkey Farms, a seventh generation family farm just outside the great city of Indianapolis. Co-owner Mike Starkey's been no-tilling since 1989. He's also been using cover crop mixes on his corn and soybeans since 2005. So on this episode of the podcast, Mike reflects on lessons learned over the years and identifies the benefits of cover cropping on his farm. Mike also shares some advice on planting green and how the use of air scout thermal imagery has helped improve nitrogen application methods, ultimately boosting yields. Without further ado, here's Mike. Mike Starkey, it's a family farm just the northwest side of Indianapolis. That's Brownsburg, Indiana, uh, central Indiana, and a seventh generation farm, 20, well, 2,500 acres. And corn, soybeans, wheat, and some hay, and a few cows to for freezer beef. And your location, as we were talking about before we started recording here, you're you're in a an, a fairly urban area. Tell us about that. Very urban. I mean, right across the road, a uh, bunch of houses from our farm. Right across the road from the one of the biggest churches in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, a school there, one through eight or kindergarten through eight. And, you know, lots of traffic, but, you know, I, I got the perks of going to the Indy 500 Sunday. Easy to get in and out because I know how to get in and out. And, you know, nice restaurants. I go to all the Colts games, the Pacer, Pacer season ticket holder also. And it's, it's kind of a fun life to live in this area here, but, uh, you know, you, you got to deal with the issues of lots of people, lots of traffic. But it's it's a good life, and you know it, it's a family farm. It goes back way back. You know this seventh generation, and sentimental value with the property also. So it's one of those things that you know just the love of the land and and enjoy what I'm doing, and good family life too. That's that's number one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean that has to be a big perk being able to to make it to a, a Colts game in no time or the Indianapolis. 500. What are, what are some of the challenges, though, that come with farming in an urban area? I'd have to imagine planning around, you know, when school is in, school is out, that has to be one of them. Well, obviously, number one's the traffic going up and down with the, a big sprayer or a combine. But people respect that. It's it's amazing how when they see this big sprayer coming down the road, they just get out of my way and they pull off the side, wave at me, and... I, I really feel, Noah, that the, they appreciate the farming around here. Uh, obviously, they want to keep the land uh, as is instead of just packing them in with a bunch of houses or whatever. So, but, but the challenges all obviously are, are the traffic, number one. I think number two, uh, I fly on my cover crops and I have to educate the neighbors of what I'm doing when, when they see that 
plane flying over the fields or they're afraid that they're, you know, having pesticides or chemicals dropped out of the air. And then when I educate them to tell them that, you know, actually it's seed, just like their grass seed in their yard, uh, they they really appreciate that. So that's another part of the, the issues I have to deal with. Is, and actually my, my pilot sometimes has to get authorization from um, the FCC to even fly in this area to do that. But again, you know, the the, uh, the traffic's number one. Good part of it, and again, the bad part is that the land values are incredibly high around here. And with that, I have a lot of developers pounding on my doors um, weekly or letters sent to me. And I actually went to a, a local planning commission meeting Monday night, got off the the sprayer at the 10 of me started at six o'clock for a local development and for me to make my comments i had to sit there till 10 30. oh and then and then yesterday morning i had to get up for a a drainage board meeting that i drove to danville for which is our county seat to uh, let them know that hey you know i have 100 acres going in this drainage outlet so therefore you know I'm concerned about this development coming in. So that that's part of the the, the problem. I or I, I wouldn't say problem, but the <laughs> issues I have to deal with. But yeah, that's that's okay. So, yeah. I'm so so the land development are are they trying to buy your land, or are they just building close to it, or how is that working? Oh no, buy the land, buy the land, and I keep saying, hey, if you can find me land to to. Uh, to turn around and 1031-2 nearby, uh, let me know. But there's nothing like that around here. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, again, I have sentimental value in the property. It's what I do. Our family does. And the value of the land, it's not going down. I mean, it's it's incredibly how much the values have gone up just in the past year. So, and, and one of these days, I, I lived through it before, like in OA, where the market's going to crash, and when that happens, my land values will, will go down. But in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, you sound really happy. Let's talk about planning season. How's planning going so far? I know the weather's not cooperating today, that, which is good, though, because that's, that's giving you a time to uh, join us on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. No other... The, the month of May has been a challenge. Uh, April seems like it rained all month. It was cold. March was really a nice month, but we were down to one more farm to plant corn. Uh, finished up the, the fields around here locally. Uh, the other one's, you know, about eight miles away. But the issue with that farm is that uh, we've been wanting to tile that farm since January, and the, the weather conditions have not, you know, been good for that so we decided to go ahead and plant it and then we're going to have it tiled after the planting is done because with these intense rain events that we have anymore tiling needs to be done when the uh, the conditions are right and it seems like the conditions are are not right unless it's in the middle of the summer so even though we're going to destroy some crop by doing this tiling it's uh, the benefits outweighs more than what we're going to lose in the crop this year by getting it done. And it helps that the landlord's going to help participate paying for it. So therefore we want to get this done. Uh, this one farm is just 
way past that need to be done. And tiling around here is so critical for us. We, we've tiled so many farms in the last 15 years and because we've seen the benefits of, but our, our tiles that our forefathers put in are just worn out. And now these rain events, you know, they're like last Wednesday night, we had a two inch rain in three hours. Oh so my goodness. They just can't handle the, the, the rain events that we have anymore. So therefore, if you're going to get in the no-till, first thing you need, need to do is get your drains figured out and, and then go from there. And, and the, the worst part of, for me is the, the fields that I no-till for many years that are just like have to be done for tiling. The issue is you got to level up those tile lines and, and do tillage to level them all out. So again, if, if, uh, the experience of, of no tilling over the years, get the drainage figured out first and then transition into it. We, we have our beans planted. Uh, that was the first thing we did. We got the beans planted and those are done. They were done a week ago Thursday and, uh, boy, they, they look, everything looks good, you know, coming up nice because we're having these rains, you know, to keep things going, obviously, but it, it would be nice to have some sunshine, some heat to really make it take off. That now, do you plant green? Oh, 100% green. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the experience of, of no tilling over the year. It's, it's just so much easier and beneficial to plant green. The cover crops in our area do not wake up until it warms up, <clears throat> which like anything else. So therefore, I want to get the, the most benefit if I can of the cover crops. So therefore, uh, we plant everything green and it's, it's so much easier to, to do instead of having to contend with it a lot of residue, dead residue do that, that's out there. So then you plant green, and, and how does that work in terms of termination? On, on the corn, no, we like to spray right ahead of the corn planter, especially like on a year like this because the ground is um, somewhat soft because of the rain events. And the sprayer, the, the most compacting piece of equipment we have is the sprayer. So... By spraying just ahead of planting on the corn, you you don't have that surface compaction for the tires on the from the sprayer. In the past, if we ran a sprayer over after we planted, you would lose the stand from where the tires ran. So therefore, uh, to get away from that, we plant uh, we we burn everything down right ahead of the of the corn planter. Soybeans we plant or we spray after because the soybeans can handle it. It, you don't have as much surface compaction. But the, the issue you have to deal with that is that you got to get that spray down before the soybeans come out. I actually was really nervous this year because, you know, I put a residual down with my burn down and on soybeans and, well, and corn both. But with that, um, the, the, the soybeans cannot emerge because the, the herbicide we use would, would, terminate the soybean so i was really on the, the uh, edge of not getting that done uh this year because all these rain events we keep having so i, I was fortunate enough just got that done just ahead of time before the soybeans emerged well glad to hear you were able to get that done now what what covers do you plant into is it cereal rye or the soybeans 100 percent cereal rye uh we we fly that on. We throw some radishes in with it because our CSP requires a minimum of two species. So on soybeans, we, we 
do that. Uh, on corn, it's a five-way mix, hairy vetch, some annual, some Austin winter peas, oh, buckwheat, and I can't even think of the fifth one right now off the top of my head, but uh, the hairy vetch is, is the one we really like because of the, the benefits of providing so much excess nitrogen in the organic uh, that we pull out of the soil. But I'm telling you, uh, it was not a very good stand this year. I was disappointed in the hairy batch because everything was so cool in the month of April that we couldn't get things to, to take off. So this is one of those years that we learned that I'm going to fly this on a little bit earlier next year or this coming year for next year's crop because we didn't get to stand as, as much as I, what I wanted to this year. And, and the reason being, you know, we had a, a late application of it because we were planning on, we have an air seeder that we were going to use to, to put it in with. And then the rains came in the fall and we couldn't get that out there. So we ended up just pulling the trigger and flying it on since we already had it mixed up. But, and then on top of everything else, the, the, the month of April was pretty cool where it just would not wake up. So therefore I even learned from what the, the benefits of the experiences of what we did in the past and that's that's one mistake we did so but the, the survey really took off nice this year yeah every year is a little different you, you learn something new every year it seems like absolutely how, yep. how long have you been uh no-tilling and and using covers when did you start doing that well i'm pretty old though i'm actually uh, 65 years old so i've been doing this for a long time so the late 80s we've been no-tilling uh, soybeans and then got into the corn mid-90s did that a couple of years, couldn't make things work for corn, went back to tillage. And then learning from my peers, then we uh, got back into the corn uh, late 90s. So, and then the covers, gosh, we, we started off with annual ryegrass 17 years ago and, and grew from there. So uh, the, the cover crops come on for a long time. Yeah, well, so, what were some of the first signs you saw that, showed you that the cover crops were working, that they were they were actually making a difference? Well, when you start off with annual ryegrass and digging a soil pit and seeing how far the roots go down were, was just an eye-popping experience that I learned from at that time. That broke up a lot of uh, the plow layer compaction back then. And a big key was the air and water movement through the soil, we didn't have the standing water with the annual ryegrass initially or when we started using it because of the, the uh, it just opened up the soil. So getting that oxygen in the soil and not seeing the ponding out there on your fields after a big rain event and then next door was maybe a field that had no covers or conventional till instant seeing standing water so that was the first eye-popping experience that we realized that hey this we might be onto something here but that was that was key to start with and, and again drainage with these rain events you know we, we need to get that water through the soil profile and our tiles all of a sudden started you know working harder also because of, of uh, the air and water movement through the soil so and, I, and I, again, that goes back to those tiles that we had out there, that those old clay tiles all of a sudden start working again. And 
and then he just got you know worn out. So I guess that's good and bad, but the, the obviously the good outweighs the bad. And you said you you fly on the covers. How how long have you been doing aerial applications, and what what do you, why is that the method that you choose? Harvest uh, manpower. There's just only myself and my nephew and his son and and my son Nick do the farming here and harvest time rolls around you want to get the crop out well then you don't want to have to have another employee to be putting on a cover crops and the timing of getting that on early in central Indiana is critical to get things established so we started flying on probably what seven or eight years ago Uh, again though you have to have the pilot that understands how to apply it. We have a, a pilot that we've been using for many years who actually farms also, and he puts it on right. But getting an inexperienced pilot, which we've had in the past before this current pilot that we use, you might have skips out there or over uh, application. So, and then the conditions may not be right. So therefore that would be a, a problem, you know, like too much wind, that's for example. So the timing of getting that on actually before the crop is harvested is is critical for us because uh, we fly everything on on our corn uh, with the cerulite on standing corn by Labor Day. And the year before last, we flew on our soybeans uh, going into corn when the beans were yellow and drop, starting to drop leaves. And we had great cover crop stand because of that this past year we did not do that we waited till after soybean harvest and flew it on uh after the soybeans were were harvested because again i wanted to try something different and use our air seeder to get it on that way and but we just couldn't get it in the field because of the conditions just it was just too wet so therefore it was too late <clears throat> so with that experience I, I'm planning on flying everything on, you know, by Labor Day this year, corn and soybeans. Back to the podcast in just a moment, but once again, let's thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece of future profit, but it takes work and it's puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at Soil1ST.com. That's Soil1ST.com, Soil First. Or call 800-356-SEED. Now, back to the podcast. You've used a lot of different cover crop species over the years, I'd have to imagine. Do you have a, uh, a favorite or like a power rankings of, of which ones work best for you? It depends on the crop. It depends on the farm. It depends on your soil samples. Like buckwheat is a great scavenger for phosphorus. And you're right, if you have an issue with a farm, a new farm that maybe has some compaction. I'm, I'm looking at this nitrogen and as we know, this nitrogen is just skyrocketing. So why not have a, a a species out there that would provide some nitrogen to you? So annual rye is a great scavenger for nitrate. But with that, you, you have to have nitrogen on your planter. 
but it releases a lot of that later on in the growing season. I'm talking late July, August. The hairy vetch is a great provider of nitrogen. So, you know, you got that benefit. And then if you if have an issue with soil structure, maybe some, you know, throw some peas out there. After we harvest, we have a 14-way mix that we have. And then the more diverse on these cover costs, the more it provides to your soil that much better of a diet. It's a balanced diet that way. So, but the, the one the one after wheat is that we have cover crops that will die in the fall, you know, when it first freeze, but you're you're getting the, the extra benefits of what it does to your soil. <clears throat> so that's the reason we like wheat also. Uh, not only to do, to do some tiling, but you have a opportunity to put a more diverse mix of cover crops out there instead of just relying on, you know, a certain species that will come back in the spring. Yeah, I remember you saying hairy vetch is just huge when it comes to, uh, you know, the nitrogen aspect of it and with nitrogen prices skyrocketing. I mean, cover crops that, like a hairy vetch, how much can that help you, um, you know, reduce inputs and increase yields? We're all learning from that. I mean, this year, I mean, I don't think it provided hardly much at all because I didn't have a stand. Last year, I think it really provided a lot. And the uh, that's where we got to take these uh, soil samples and tissue samples and uh, grab the samples from the hairy bats and see how much, you know, that's providing you. So... We're all learning from that every year. I mean, I, I feel personally, I, it depends. Last year, I, I felt it had a huge benefit, uh, uh, probably 50 pounds of nitrogen, you know, that it, that it provided even more, maybe this year, who knows what. So, uh, that's really you, you got to, uh, have the experience and education from your peers to see what their thoughts are on that also it's it's key that that we learn from others what they've done and how much it provided and share that information so and, and we're not getting that from the universities obviously because they're doing their thing and we're doing our thing so that's that's uh that's one of those deals where <laughs> you're kind of a Figure it out on your own, and who knows when we'll forget it all figured out. But I, I do feel that the hairy vetch is is a great cover crop species to provide some nitrogen for your corn. This year, hmm, I don't know, and that's the reason I got to be doing some. Uh, I, I use this air scout service that I use to uh, observe the fields and to let me know how much nitrogen I need to put on that second application. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about the the Air Scout thermal technology. That that was kind of a, a game changer for you, right? Man, it was. I don't know if you saw my uh, yeah you you saw my presentation in Noto conference, and what I observed through Air Scout is that the application, that second application, is so critical for your corn crop. But it gives me a a picture at that time what my corn needs. And oh, and the the areas that it needs it. So therefore, it's a at season 
picture that I can put on what I feel confident in what my core needs are. And, and we'll look at the uh, the price of nitrogen, which fortunately I did buy it on my nitrogen up front. But, you know, we're gonna, we got to look at the rainfall events. we got to look at the growing season, the temperatures. And, of course, the price of corn at the time. You know, how much, uh, what's corn be, being worth? So you got to look at pencil all that out and then put your yield goals in that you feel that that you can make that year and then put that second application on based on that images that we, t- uh, we have at that time through the Air Scout service. Yeah, so if you could go into a little more detail about how the, the Air Scout service works in case, you know, someone's listening right now, they, they might be interested in trying to use it. J- just how, do, how does that work exactly? Well, uh, it's, it's, they take an actual it's a visual shot of, uh, over with an airplane of your field at their, your whole field at a certain time. Uh, actually, uh, they, they flew over my field yesterday and I already have the images today, which is pretty cool. You don't have to wait for a couple of weeks or whatever to figure out what that picture is, but you have AD, ADMVI, uh, NDVI, uh, a rifle shot, uh, just a bear shot, and the thermal images. And you you observe throughout the growing season how your crop is doing. And and the one they took yesterday is a good starting point because you know we're we're actually seeing the soil that's out there uh, with the tile lines and. You observe how the crop is growing throughout the growing season and if it's under stress. And, but the one I really like is the one when I, I, I drop my uh, application of the side dress nitrogen. I put a flatter rate, rate on the first time, like around B6. But the second one is the one that I use the Air Scout service where I make a prescription on based on that field and those areas. And it gives me a opportunity to apply more on the, the, the corn that's the best ground or the best corn that's out there. And I can put on back off on the corn that's looking so-so. So I'm not over applying on the, the corn that's going to be average. But I do put it on more on the corn that I feel it's going to be a big opportunity to, to get the big yield out of. And we all seen on our corn, uh, on our yield monitors, this, this corn can really hit the 300 bushel mark in, in certain areas of the field. In certain areas of the field, it's only going to get 200 bushel. So with that, I make a prescription through their service that gives me an opportunity to apply uh the right amount at the right place at the right time. And therefore my sprayer with my wide drops as I go across the field changes and I can visually see the good corn from the sprayer and I'll see that monitor on the sprayer bump it up immediately. It's amazing. And so when I get in that corn it's so so it'll back off on it. And before uh, making my management uh, zones, you know, I just had to tweak those every year and do the best I could in 
my application of that second uh, of nitrogen. But now I know exactly where the good corn is out in my field. And the corn is not so good. It could be planter air. It could be all of a sudden the, uh, the, the corn planter didn't put on, the, the shut off the nitrogen by accident or something like that. Well, it'll back off on that. So, and in years past, I might have had those areas where it was good. <clears throat> so that's why I like about this air scout service because it gives me a true observation of how that corn is doing for that year. Well, I wanted to ask you about this as well. I read that you're part of the, uh, or you took part in the edge of field monitoring project and it showed that water leaving your farm is now cleaner than when it entered. Well, we as farmers do not go out there and try to throw a bunch of nitrogen down the stream. So we, we want to keep it on our farm as much as possible. So the observation of others thinking that we're throwing money away down the creek and polluting their water supply is, I want to prove them wrong. So therefore, we have extensive monitoring service on our farm where we monitor the water before it enters the farm and monitor the water after it enters the farm. We have a farm that we, we can do that on. And it's a Big partnership with several partners, uh, USGS, uh, NRCS, uh, State Department Bag, Citizens Water out here in Indianapolis, uh, our local soil water conservation district. We put together a, a partnership where, oh, Indiana University out in uh, Bloomington, they're, they're not because they have the well waters, but we have different sensors out there that are monitoring the water, not only in the stream, but also coming out of the tiles that we have. And we, we observe the, the groundwater coming out of the, uh, in the, the water out of, out of the farm is cleaner than it is entering. How's that happen? We keep the nitrogen. We keep, we keep the nutrients, what we apply on our farm. No till cover crops application as needed. We don't just go out there and dump a bunch of nitrogen before the planter even starts hoping that the corn plant's going to be using it. It's so necessary to spoon feed what that corn crop needs throughout the growing season. That's a big deal um, where we want to educate others that the type of farming that we do is is what's needed, not only here in Indiana, but across the world. And we had, we've had a lot of people come out and see and visually visit the farm because of that. And EPA's been here. Um, I, well, Come on out, uh, check it out. And we had international people. We had we've had Chinese people come out here, human, uh, to observe this because we got to figure out. We all drink water. We all want to drink clean water, and you know, like the hypoxia zone down in the Gulf of Mexico. We got to get rid of that. I mean, that's crazy. And so there's there's ways to uh, to take care of our water supply and and to keep it where it's needed and cleaner. Well, I know you've got a busy weekend ahead getting ready for the uh, Indy 500, so won't keep you much longer. Just before you go, and any advice you want to give to people listening that might be thinking about getting into cover crops or something you've learned in recent years that you wanted to share with our audience? Well, number one, you got to be a patient farmer. <laughs> if you're not a patient farmer, forget it. you got to be willing to change. Be open to change. you, you got to be listening to your peers, people that, that actually done it. Not, not, not people that 
not even been on a tractor and tell you how to do it. You know, learn from the, the you're going to learn from your mistakes. Don't go a hundred percent crazy about it. Uh, first year I did cover crops, I did 20 acres, you know, so uh, kind of transition into it and, you know, enjoy your family, <laughs> you know, take, take care of your family first and, and you're, you're able to sleep okay at night and not get stressed about it. So all good. Thanks to Mike Starkey for joining us on this week's podcast. Before we go, let's once again thank our sponsor, Lacrosse Seed. Solving the soil health puzzle? Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and is puzzling at times. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com. Or call 800-356-SEED. Thanks so much for joining us once again on the Cover Crop Strategies podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, for all things cover crops, head to CoverCropStrategies.com. Strategies.com.